All right, so today we are continuing in our studies of Genesis chapter 1. Uh, so hopefully by now you have read Genesis chapter 1, at least multiple times, right? Um, this is part 6, so we're still on Genesis chapter 1. In fact, we're still in the first two verses, so we will go faster, I promise. Um, but um, today... Um, you might want to follow along in the notes section of the app. Um, some of the Hebrew words will be on there as well um, as we, we go through this. Uh, of course, I'm going to put some of it on the board as well. Um, so let's begin um, with, uh, with just a reading of cha- uh, verses 1 and 2. So, in beginning... God created the heavens and earth in beginning. Remember, this is that Rashit. This is the, the, the looking forward to the, the in, in, in the time when the story begins, when our story starts. God created the heavens and the earth. Um, now, the earth was formless and void or formless and empty, and darkness was covered the earth, the surface... Uh, the darkness covered the surface of the watery depth and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. Um, so, Barashit bara Elohim va'et ha'eretz va'et ha'mayim Now the land was, was wild and waste uh, wild and waste is that word tohu vavohu. Um, and darkness was over the face of the deep abyss, the tohom is the word there, tohom. And, but the breath of Elohim covered over the face of the hamayim, the waters. And so look at this arc here that's, that's going on here. Um, God, in the, in the beginning of the story, when God began to create, he created the skies and the land. We've already established that that's what, the, that's what they were going for in that, is the skies and the land, the, the ups and the place where we live, the place. And, uh, but right, off, right there, it, right second verse, there's a problem. Very... Right off the bat, there's a problem. Darkness was there. The land itself was was a wild and waste place, not a place where people can live. Darkness covers the surface of the watery depth and water. Remember, we just talked about water, uh, the watery abyss being a place of chaos and darkness being also a, a... uh, a symbol of chaos that these things represent the uncreated spaces and so darkness and water they were the symbols of chaos and so we have this this idea that there's this god created the heavens and earth but there's already a place where people can't live and so there's a problem but the, the breath or the spirit of Elohim, the ruach, the word ruach, uh, fun word, ruach, um, it means the wind, breath, the spirit. 
Um, in this case, the spirit of Elohim. Um, Ruach can refer to other spirits as well. I know there's uh, other places. For example, in the Kings, they ta- uh, God, it talks in a place where God put a Ruach of deceit on a, fair, on, on a king so that he would... Um, um, but uh, the Ruach is this, this, this spirit of Elohim. Now let's pause right there. Elohim, what's that word mean? God. It is the most generic word for God or gods or actually even any spiritual being. Um, Elohim is a word that really references anything that's in the spiritual realm. We have to use context clues to know what they're talking about when we see the word Elohim. Elohim could mean the God of Israel, which it clearly does in this one. And it's actually an interesting, God doesn't have a name in this story, but we're left with this, wow, that's a spiritual being. That's bigger than any of the other spiritual beings. As we talk about Egypt and we talk about the Babylonians, it's like that spiritual being is bigger than any of those spiritual beings. And so we're left at, and of course, when we get to chapter two, when you're in this close relationship and God's working with mankind, that's when we get a name for the Elohim as Yahweh, um, though uh, that's the name they use in that passage. And I think that's on purpose as they've edited, they've, in the final version of the Bible, that's, they've done that on purpose to try to le- kind of leave you with a wow, and let me introduce you to this God who's working directly with mankind. Um, but so we have this, this spiritual, Elohim can actually even refer to a dead person who's there. Um, you can see uh, 1 Samuel is a good example of this. Um, when um, when Saul, Samuel has died and Saul is looking for um, uh, to, to speak to him goes to the witch of Endor. Now, your Bible will translate it as a spirit rose up because we're using the context clues to say what are they talking about here. But the word in the Hebrew is Elohim. First uh, Samuel 28, is the, 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 a, a, a spirit rose up. That's the word Elohim there in the Hebrew. Because it, Elohim means just anything that's in the spiritual realm. And so we use those, those context clues to determine what they are. Another good example of this is like uh, when um, the, um, um, in Jonah, when the, the, um, before they start worshiping the God of Israel, they worship many Elohim. They worship the multiple gods. Because the word Elohim is actually can be, it mean, it's a plural word. Uh, El being, uh, well, El is a, a generic word meaning God. Like we're saying God we trust, right? What God are you talking about? Are you talking about the money that it's printed on or are you talking about the God of Christianity or the, um, you know, um, but, you know, we, we say God is just a generic word. El is just a generic word for God. It also can be a Canaanite deity, the chief Canaanite deity. So it's just, it could be, but it's just, it, so at one point it's referencing the chief Canaanite deity. It's also referencing just God. And so Elohim 
the, the uh, end of that, the heme part, that means it's plural. So it's a plural word. So it's gods or God or the spiritual beings. You're left kind of wondering exactly what this God is. And that's something that's normal in... Absolutely. They, they do that quite often. They, they pair it off of each other. Lord, Yahweh, Elohim, Lord God. And so they're, they're naming which God they're talking, which spiritual being they're talking about in those cases. Um, and so, um, and so, so, yeah, so we've got this Elohim. So we're, and when we go through this, we're left with this, this spiritual being created everything and we're left with this wow that's a spiritual being and then we're told about who this is that's what the rest of the bible is about is the spiritual being and who this god is and how we relate to him and what's the story and and who's finally revealed in jesus christ who's i mean that's so we're we're so we're beginning with this kind of a generic word um that um and i think it's done on purpose and so, so this Elohim, uh, so Elohim um, creates the earth, and the land was wild and waste. It was like a desert. It was it was without um, without life. Um, your your version of the Bible might say uh, formless and void, or um, uh, anyway, the idea is is that it's, um, it's unable to contain, contain life. Think of the, the barrenness desert, you know, without any kind of form to it, without any kind of wild and waste. There's, no, the, there's nothing that can, can uh, contain life. And, and so we have this. And then uh, it says that the darkness was over the face. There's actually two different words for water found in this passage the first one is translated in this passage as deep abyss it's the tahom this is a word that means like the um the underworld the abysmal waters the primordial waters um Remember jonah i keep going back to jonah jonah is in the pit of the underworld the abyss the waters uh, so he's in the the to home. He's on the 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 waters under the land, and um, it's when you say to home, you're obviously kind of thinking of a negative water, like this water that's scary, the water that's frightening, the dark water. Thank you. The water that that Jaws lives in. You know the. Um, you know, the water that terrifies you go to the beach and you're okay with it to a point and then you get out there and you're like, that water's terrifying. Um, you know, um, you know that uh, um, the home is that kind of, that darkness, the abyss, the, um, that kind of water. It's the, the idea is the prime, primal waters, primeval waters. The idea... Um, if you're a old earth creationist who believes in evolution, an evolutionist Christian, uh, remember we talked about all the different different views of Christianity. So you might say that's where life came from. Um, 
if we're dealing with, uh, I think it's very important because as we're going to start talking about uh, Egypt and we're going to start talking about uh, Babylonian, that primordial water is actually being found in both of the religions that this book is actually in contact with. Remember, I've said that it's not in contact with Darwin. That's not what, what the conversation is supposed to be with the Bible when it was written. It was not, Darwin hadn't come about yet. That's not what they were thinking of. They were thinking of Egypt. They were thinking of Babylonia. And so when they were writing this, that was kind of stuff that was on their mind. So it's in a conversation very much more in line with those. And we're going to see those primordial waters in both of those as well. Um, we'll get to that. But, um, but so, so there's this negative um, to home, this, this waters, that, uh, but, um, but, but look, even there, who, who's there in the midst of this wild waste with the home, the chaos? God, that's right. It's the spirit of God, this um, Elohim, this, this invisible life-giving persona of God. It's the, the wind is hovering. I love the word hovering there. It it's, could be translated fluttering. Uh, it's a verb that's only ever used of birds. Uh, so you got this image of like a bird fluttering, flying over top of the the land, which I think is telling because how does the Holy Spirit choose to show itself to Jesus? In the form of a dove, dove that's right, like a bird. And it's, it, the imagery is coming very much from uh, Genesis chapter 1, uh, that this, 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 this fluttering is happening, it's hovering, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's flying over top of this, uh, this, this chaos and um, and so, um, so it's fluttering over the face of, and then it says it's fluttering over the face of the waters. Now that Hamayim, waters is, when you, when you use Hamayim, waters, that word is not the scary to home. Hamayim is the, the word, um, the waters. Mayim is the, the word like you, you would feed your garden with, you would drink out of the hose with. It's the, it's the life-giving water where it's there, you can drink from it, you can be water for you, your garden can grow from it. You can, it's life-giving. And, and so I, I, I think that's very telling. As we see, the darkness is over the face of, so there's darkness over the face of the deep abyss, but where God shows up, all of a sudden there's life. As if to say that just by his very presence, the threatening waters is neutralized and becomes something God can work with. Just by his very presence. I think that's absolutely beautiful. God shows up in those scary waters and now life-giving. And so as we look at this... Um, I wanted to read this, um, this quote I came across. Um, um, it says, The framers of, the, uh, of creation in the Bible in, uh, inherited a treasure trove of varial trend, traditions from their cultural neighbors. What's that mean? That means there's lots of images that we're going to see from Babylonia and Egypt or very much uh, the 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 um, 
the ideas are going to be coming from that. And so the, instead of creating their accounts ex nihilo, ex nihilo means out of nothing. They didn't just come up with these things. It says the composers of the scriptures developed their traditions in dialogue with, uh, with some of the great religious traditions of the surrounding cultures, particularly originating from Mesopotamia and Egypt uh, and their more immediate Canaanite neighbors. So because of this, because things don't, we like to think of things as just popping up, right? But that's not true. That's not how anything works, is it? I mean, any kind of, even my sermons don't come ex nihilo. They're very much cultural, from the Bible, from our, what's relevant to what I feel God leading me to speak to you guys. So we have this very cultural, it's not ex nihilo, it's a very cultural dialogue we're having. And so, and, and just like that, the people of Israel are having a dialogue with the people around them. And I think it actually brings more power to, the, to these passages when we see the dialogue they're having, because it's actually really kind of cool. Um, and, um, and so we should expect to see similarities and differences in the Egyptian and Mesopotamian and Canaanite uh, creation story, the cosmo, cosmologies. Um, Genesis 1 and other narratives like Psalm 104 are, um, you know, are not in scientific, are not in dialogue with those scientific or, uh, origins. Um, but there are some key differences. Um, of course, I say the word cosmology. What does that word mean again? I, I, I don't want to take for granted you guys remember what that means. Cosmology. Study the universe. Yeah, absolutely. It's how they view the creation of the universe, how they experience as a human. Um, so how they viewed the creation of the universe, the cosmology, the order of things. That's where that word comes from. Um, so ancient cosmologies. Now, I want to remind you, we've already said this, but I want to remind you because repetition brings memory, right? Um, ancient cosmology narratives do not have their primary purpose to describe the physical materials and the process by which the universe, that's not their primary focus. Meaning they're not, their primary focus is not physics. This is not a physics book to design how exactly this process takes place. That was not its process, that's not its purpose. Any of the, like ancient Egyptian and Babylonian, their purpose was not about the physics. It was about, um, it, it was, so, which, well, because it's not about physics, it actually um, has trouble fitting into the uh, language and categories of our modern audiences as, as, as me, you guys, because we often think of, well, we're, we're thinking cosmology, uh, origins and physics. Um, but their, their primary uh, purpose was to address a basic worldview, um, the nature and purpose of the world and who we are and why we are and who are the gods and why are you, what's around them. And so it was very much a metaphysical discussion more than it was a uh, a physics discussion, metaphysical. What's, uh, what, who, where, why? This was more, uh, more of the questions, uh, who we are. 
is a more important question to them than the actual process of it. Um, for example, in Egypt, we're going to talk about this in just a minute, there are five different creation stories, events, and they're totally different. Depending on what time period you were at, which gods you served, <laughs> and uh, which area of Egypt you were from, and there's a big, you know, uh, of course, different time periods because ancient Egypt, the religion of ancient Egypt is, is vast, um, many thousand of years, uh, putting it together, and it just kind of adds on top of each other as this person joins and this person joins. And, and it's a, a very fun story, which we do not have time for. Um, but, um, but it is something that they were more concerned with the why. What, what is it, you know, who we are in the story than they were like the actual physics of it. Um, so let's, let's go into ancient Egypt culture, Egyptian culture. Now, as I began to talk at ancient Egyptian culture, if you are interested in this, I recommend you doing study on your own. I can point you to some great text, some great podcasts. There's some fantastic YouTube videos out there. Because I do not, because one, the purpose of this class is not to go over ancient Egypt culture and history and religion. That would be a class all to itself. Um, and the five minutes we're going to spend on this, and I know it's going to be a little over five minutes, but the five minutes we spend on this is not going to give you an actual like, understanding of, of all the nuances of, of ancient Egyptian culture. That's just not something we can do uh, in this time. Um, if you go to the, the notes section in your app, if you're interested in this, I put a few resources on there. Uh, I recommend, if you just want to listen to something, there's a podcast out there, the History of, Pod History of Egypt podcast. I listen to it every week. Um, and he starts from the beginning of, of, of ancient Egyptian history and kind of works his way up through. There's a hundred and something episodes so far. So if you're interested, there's, there's lots, of, lots of stuff to listen to there. Um, of course, I've been listening to it pretty much since it started, so... I didn't have to listen to all 100 at one time, but, uh, <laughs> um, but it's a very good place to get your start on that. Um, and there's great books out there. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the ancient Egyptian books cost quite a bit of money because um, they're textbooks, and textbooks are purposely expensive because students have to buy them. Um, don't get me started on that rant. Um, but... Um, but when we think ancient Egypt, ancient Egyptian culture is a very old culture, much older than ancient Israel even. So, um, so when we say what do ancient Egyptians view about cosmology or the way the origin of stuff, it's kind of like asking Amer you know, the question, what do Americans think of government? Um, <laughs> Today, we have lots of different ideas, and that has changed drastically over the time period of the, America, of the United States being founded and before it was founded and, and settling and all that. We've had a lot of different opinions on that subject since the United States. So saying, what do you view about ancient cosmology is something that you, you can't really just say, well, they, they all viewed one thing. Uh, that's just too oversimplification, and you know how I feel about that. Um, modern 
Egyptology, the study of Egyptian uh, culture and history and, and life, actually began after Napoleon Bonaparte conquering Egypt in the early 1800s, uh, making it open to the uh, Egyptian colonial par uh, powers. Um, the first famous Egyptologist was uh, Jean-Francois uh, uh, Champollion, forgive me if my French is off, um, which deciphered the Rosetta Stone. How many of you guys have heard of the Rosetta Stone? Important bit of history right there. The Rosetta Stone was a stone that had multiple languages saying the same thing, which allowed us to interpret hieroglyphics and other languages because they were all saying the same thing. So it allowed us to interpret these languages and start making drastic advancements in, in what these old languages said. Because there's, you know, there's still languages out there. We have their writings. We have no idea what they're saying. We can guess, but we have no idea what they're saying because we don't have a Rosetta Stone for that language. Uh, well, the Egyptian periods, yes, Egypt itself started way before the pyramids did. That's a very good question. Um, the pyramids were built as part of an Egyptian culture that after Egypt was already established, they started developing the idea of funeral mounds, and then it became the bigger the mound, the more important you were, and Eventually, these pharaohs decided they were going to make these huge mounds up into the heavens um, for funeral designs, and that's why the pyramids were built. Um, no, they weren't alien landing ships. Um, they weren't, uh, yeah, they're not for the ley lines uh, to transfer the, the electric towers for the Atlanteans. Um, they were funeral pyres, uh, funeral mounds um, uh, up into the heavens. Um, yeah. Uh, as if you're interested, the key cosmological texts that you want to read, if you want to read this, and you can read all of these online for free if you want to do some sacred text stuff. Um, well, how the pyramids are designed and their form, their layout and, uh, their relationship to the stars or something that's, uh, up for debate and many people have tried to debate it and, and try to gather that. But what we do know is they are about funeral marches and stuff like that. So, um, so uh, if you want to read about actual, like what they were reading, what they were writing, there are three main cosmological texts that you want to read. Um, now notice th these are, and you can, like I said, you can get these for free on like sacredtext.com. Um, you know, they're all public uh, domain. So you can also buy copies of them if you want to do that as well. Um, the pyramid texts, which were from the old kingdom, which took place about uh, uh, 2600 to 2100 BC, so quite a bit before Christ. 
the coffin text, which is 1900s to 16 BCs, and the Book of the Dead, which is probably the most famous of the group, um, which is 1500s to 1000 BC. So way before the text of Christ, these were being written. And the Bible was out. Um, so as these, these things, so we, we can say, what did they all believe? So we have to ask the question, what are some of the enduring themes found in Egyptian history? Um, um, but we do, we do can see um, some of the things like um, pre-creation straight was the waters. Uh, there was a depiction of a non-creation state. Um, I'm actually going to read one here in a minute that's one of the many I could have chose from. Um, and it's actually from what's called the coffin text, that middle one that was up th- that's up there. Um, these are literally little poems written on people's coffins. Um, the Egyptian sarcophagi. Um, um, so what we're imagining here as we go to this text is um, at some point the chief deity, Atum, uh, he's not always the chief deity in the Egyptian religion, but at that time period he was. Um, like I said, we're not talking about Egyptian, uh, we're not going to get into that. Um, but uh, this chief deity, Atum, is going to give a little speech um, at the, from the moment of his emergence. And we're supposed to imagine the cosmology from his point of view as a deity. That's kind of the, what the poem's about. Um, so let me read this real quick. <coughs> Excuse me. The waters speak, I am the water. Wow, that right there is, he is the water. The water speak, unique without second. A tomb speaks, that is where I evolved on the great occasion of my floating that happened to me. I, a tomb, the creator, and the one who once evolved circlet, who is in his egg. I am the one who, who began therein in the waters. See the floods the flood is subtracted from me. See, I am the remainder. I made my body evolve through my own effectiveness. I am the one who made me. I built myself as I wished according to my heart. Now the account goes on to describe uh, the generations of eight other deities out of Atom's own bodies. Um, these are the different deities or the different elements of the cosmos. Um, I don't know how many of you guys read this. You thought that's, that's kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of weird. That's okay. You can think it's weird. It's all right. Uh, there's a lot of imagery here. Um, a lot of different imagery here. Um, the, um, I am the water, but he seems to be like, he is the water, but then once he comes out of the water, he's diff- separate from the water. 
Um, I kind of like the whole, um, it kind of solves the chicken and the egg argument, right? Um, it's kind of like it happens with the same thing. I am it. Uh, I guess that's convenient. Um, uh, I created myself. A tome in one of the Egyptian. A tome is actually, if you go to ancient Egypt, I'm sorry, I should have said that. Thank you for asking that question. I, uh, I forget sometimes what people know and what people don't know uh, because I spend way too much time in books. Um, a tome in ancient Egyptian uh, deities is one of the gods that comes to power at one time. His, uh, his name is a tome, and he is the, um, not the sun, but the aura around the sun, the rays of the sun. And he becomes the chief god, deity at one point, actually, uh, one of the kings tries to overthrow the priest's power by making him the only one who can worship a tome, and you have to pray to him to worship a tome. Oh, yeah, by the way, he's the only god you can worship. Uh, <laughs> uh, so giving himself all the power. Um, and so that, that happens at one point in Egyptian history as well. Yeah, um, it's, it's imagery, it's metaphor. It's supposed to make you, like, it's supposed to be weird. Uh, it's supposed to be weird. It's supposed to, but it is. It's the chicken, uh, it's, it's a tom is a, one of the chief deities. And so he says that I created myself. Now, notice something in the Bible that the Bible doesn't have. It starts with God creating, but it doesn't talk about who created God. Uh, God just is. He didn't have to create himself. He just is. And that would have been something that would actually stand out as they're in dialogue with the ancient Egyptians, they're in dialogue with the Mesopotamians and the Canaanites, the idea that God just is and is unique and is bigger than all these other deities that they're worshiping, it would stand out. because that would, And of course, that's one of the questions we've been asked today. I, I always get asked by the atheists, who created God? Yeah, exactly. It's still a question we ask today. It would really make it stand out. Who created God? And it's not in there because it's not something that's for, that's not the question. This, this, isn't about, this is about God creating man and its relationship, but God is just something that is. He always has been, always will be because he's outside of time. And so they're creating themselves because they're inside of time. They are, it would stand out to them because it's automatically, from just that very idea, they're lesser. But, there, but with, with every other God ever, besides our God, we all know somehow where they came from. Someone manufactured it, or they just said, I am God. Well... Uh, yes, no, um, there is, uh, some truth in that, um, we can't say that we know where every God came from, um, <coughs> but it is a very common theme, like a tome created himself, 
that's a pretty common theme um, uh, that this is where they came from. Um, but when you say, like, I worship the sun god, okay, well, tell me about that sun god. What is that? What does that look like? What did he do? What has he done for you lately? Well, yeah, but you're putting your questions and they wouldn't have asked that question. Like, what have they done for you lately? That's not something they would have asked. That would have been later on, maybe, but right off the bat, it's not about what they've done for you. You were designed, in the Egyptian way of thinking, you, it was not about what they did for you. That's not, that is very much eye-centric. The question was, what have you done for them? That was the way they thought. It was not like you, it was your job to serve them. And the idea that they're supposed to do something for you is not something that would have been come across their thoughts because it's not, that's not how it worked back then. Because, and that strains, I mean, but that was just the way they thought. Think about like the Pharaoh. Their job as, as lessers was to be, serve the Pharaoh. It was not the Pharaoh was supposed to serve. It was, they, it was upward bound. So, uh, the Pharaoh did not serve himself God. He was the incarnation of a God. He was born into, he was the physical avatar of a God. Uh, so he was not a God himself, but you would worship him as God because he was the incarnation often of Horus or Osiris. Uh, he was the incarnation of a God. Um, that's, um, but... Um, yeah, so, but, but there, is, uh, there is that element there. Um, the waters is there, um, um, that deity. Um, and it fits um, um, into that, um, that pantheism. A tomb actually uh, f- probably started being worshipped in a form of pantheism. Pantheism. Anyone know what pantheism is before I just assume? Nope, that's polytheism. Pantheism. That's right. Want to say it for us, or should I say it louder? That's right. Earth, things, plants, trees, pantheism. Lots of cultures are pantheistic. Uh, when they say we worship the spirit of the rock or the spirit of the tree, that's pantheist. Actually, we have quite a few of them even today that with Mother Earth, you know, that's a form of pantheism. Um, and so, a Tom. Um, Actually, his story is kind of interesting, the, um, but I don't think I'm going to get into it. Um, beyond there. Um, here we're seeing a very typical Egyptian visualization of the cosmos. Uh, so what you have here is not the sky goddess, um, she's the equivalent of the Raki. Raki, remember that Raki, the the dome above the in in the the, the vault. Maybe your translation of the Bible translated as vault. Um, in ancient Egypt, and she the nut is the uh, Nut, I guess, uh, the sky goddess, and she's the equivalent of that. She's. Um, uh, do you see all the the stars inside of the of, of Nut? She's the one. Who uh, and actually in uh, some other depictions, her her breasts are raining milk, um, which uh, is the the symbolism of fer- 
fertility coming out of her, out of her uh, the rain. Uh, perched underneath here is uh, Gev. Um, this is the... Uh, um, he's the one... Gev is... Gev is this guy right here underneath. So Newt and Gev. Gev is, is, is the, the symbol of the... the um, the dry land, and kneeling on top of Gev, um, this one right here, is uh, Shu, the atmosphere, the air, the, the deity of air. Yes? Yeah, Newt, the, the, the lady up here that goes... Yep, she's a woman. Nude is a, a, sky, a sky goddess. Uh, yeah, Nude is a, a, is, is a being, yes. She's a goddess, the goddess of the sky. Gev is the, the, the land. Right here, this is Gev. And Shu is the air. Um, um, they're actually all related. Um, yeah, and notice the little boat back here that's riding on top of Newt. That's uh, that's Ra or sometimes Ray, um, the the um, the sun deity who carries the sun in his boat across the um, the sky. And in the evening, when it reaches the evening, he'll actually travel. Um, see, we've got it two times here. This is morning. This is evening. And it'll travel into the underworld um, at night. Every night he has to go into the underworld, uh, which he needs his bodyguards because um, they're going to have to, um, in the underworld, there's dragons and snakes, and they're going to try to defeat the sun and eat the sun every night they have to defend the sun in the underworld and come out so that the sun will rise again the next day um, um, so every night there's this very chaotic um, dragon and snake and um, I was actually going to spend some time talking about dragons and snakes and then um, wouldn't you know it the Bible project uh, their podcast right now is on the Leviathan and the dragon. And so if you want to know, I've actually decided that I'm not going to do so much talking about that. I'm just going to point you to their podcast because right now they're, they're on part like two. I didn't know they were doing that when I started talking about it because um, I'm not part of their, their, their I'm not, I don't get their newsletter or anything, <laughs> but uh, they're talking about it right now. So I'm going to point you to them that's going on right now. Uh, they're doing a thing on Leviathan and the snakes, and uh, to, uh, this week's podcast was about uh, um, David and Goliath, which I thought was funny because we had just talked about that in our sermon. Um, but uh, but yeah, so um, so listen to that about the the dragon. But the um, but so yeah, so every night they have to overcome the chaotic darkness so they can come out and rise again, and so. Um, 
So in this story, we also have the idea that the, the, the bad guys, the is the darkness that must be overcome so the day can can reign, which is something that we're going to see also as we talk about you know that idea of the chaotic darkness and the waters of conception that are in um, Genesis. Um, in Egyptian um, they have the word mat, M-A-A-T, uh, mat which is uh, sometimes translated as order, and it's the, kind of the idea of the cosmology. Um, uh, all right. Um, all right. I'm sure you have, like I said, I did not cover, we had five minutes to cover Egyptian mythology. But what we're going to do next is we're going to watch a short video. I think it's like seven minutes long that um, I didn't create. It was, it's on YouTube. Um, it was put out by free to try to get you to buy something. Um, <laughs> so it does have a small advertisement, but it actually has some good animations in it. But it talks about the five uh, origin stories that are in Egyptian mythologies. And so they have all five different origin stories in there. We only talked about one so far. Um, but I knew this would happen. We're almost out of time. So I knew this would happen. So I put all five, I put a video, found a video that had all five of them in there. So, so let's watch that and then we'll come back together for a couple of questions in prayer. This video is brought to you by Captivating History. Before we begin, I would like to mention that the ancient Egyptians did not have a unitary creation myth. The stories of how the world came to be vary across time and also differ according to location. Therefore, this video will include five Egyptian mythology creation stories from four different locations. Creation story number one, Atum creates the world. Location, Heliopolis. Once there was nothing but Nu, nothing but the waters of Nu. And the waters of Nu were formless and they were dark. And from Nu, from the void of the waters, sprang Atum, the first of the gods, the creator of the gods and all that is. Atum wished for bodily pleasure, so he pleasured himself, and from his seed sprang Shu, who is the air, and Tepnut, who is the light. Shu and Tepnut were alone with Atum, alone on the primordial hill in the waters of Nu, and they became separated from one another. This caused Atum great grief, for he loved his children. Atum sent his eye to look for Shu and Tepnut, and while his eye was gone from him, Atum replaced it with another, greater eye. Soon enough, Shu and Tefnu returned with Atum's first eye. The first eye saw that Atum had supplanted it with another, greater eye, and it became jealous. Atum took pity on the first eye in its anger and distress, and took his first eye, placing it firmly in his forehead. With this eye, he could see all that he had created, and all that had and will happen in heaven and upon the earth, and in Tuat, the underworld of the dead. When Shu and Tefnu returned, Atum was so overjoyed to see his children again that he wept, and from his tears sprang human beings. But there was nothing else yet in creation but the people and the primordial hill in the void of the waters. Much work had yet to be done. Therefore, Atum, Shu, and Tefnut began the work of creating the world and making a place for people to live in. Shu and Tefnut came together in love, and from them sprang Geth, who was the surface of the earth, and Nut, who was the sky. 
From the union of Geb and Newt came Isis, Osiris, Nephthys, and Set. Shu and Tefnut, who are air and light, separate Geb and Newt, and together they hold up the sky. Creation story number two. Ra and the eight gods create the world. Location, Hermopolis. Before all things, there were eight who are the four and their consorts. These were Nun and Naunit, Paul and Hauhet, Kuk and Kauket, Amun and Amuneth. And these together were water, unendingness, darkness, and the unseen, which is the air or wind. The four gods had the head of frogs, and their consorts the heads of snakes. Together, the eight gods hatched out from the primeval mound that stood within the void of the waters. The eight gods made the Nile and caused it to have its flood time and its receding. They made the lotus grow out of the waters, and when the lotus opened, inside was a scarab beetle. The scarab beetle transformed itself into a divine child, and this child was the god Ra. The lotus is thus the birthplace of the sun, who is Ra, and the lotus is the eye of Ra. When the child Ra wept, his tears created human beings. From Ra's mouth came all the other gods. Therefore, from the eight came the lotus, and from the lotus came Ra, and from Ra came all there is, both humans and divine beings, and the whole world. Seeing that all had been made and all was done, the eight gods died and went to the underworld. Ra and the other gods remained to rule over creation. Creation story number three. The Myth of the Cosmic Egg Location, Hermopolis Before the world was made, there was nothing but the primeval mound, and a goose came to the mound. This goose was named the Great Cackler. The goose laid an egg upon this mound, and when the time was right, the god Ra burst forth from the egg in the form of a bird of light. Ra then went on to create all that is. Some say it was not a goose that laid this egg, but an ibis, which is the god Thoth, those who believe this say that the god Thoth arose uncreated from the nothingness that was, and the eight gods are his souls. Together, Thoth and the eight gods made the world. Creation story number four, Ptah creates the world. Location, Memphis. In the nothingness that was before all of creation, first there was Ptah, who was also new, the void of the waters. And from the heart and tongue of Ptah sprang Atu, the first of the gods, and from the seed of Atu came Shu and Tefnut, who are air and sky. From the seed of Atu and from the words of Atu came the nine gods. But Ptah was the mightiest of all, above all other gods. He was the one who first created the gods and was the one from whom all other things came to be. Ptah created Egypt and divided her into her gnomes. He established the temples of the gods and commanded where and when the gods should be worshipped. Ptah created the souls of all things, giving them their ka that they might live. Ptah created animals and plants and all good things that are for the use of people upon the earth. Creation story number five. Kanum creates the world. Location, Elephantine. In the beginning, there was Kanum. Kanum wished to create, so he made the gods, and it was he who fashioned the egg from which sprang the sun. Kanum also made the earth and everything that is on it. He made the Nile River with its floods, and he made the sea, and he made fish to swim in the waters. He made animals of every kind, cattle and sheep, lions and crocodiles. 
Kanoon also made the birds to fly in the sky. Kanoon put many useful things in the earth, stone to build with, along with beautiful gems. He made trees, flowers, and all manner of plants and fruit for his creatures to use for food. Then Kanoon wished to make people, so he took clay and threw it on his potter's wheel. He spun the wheel and shaped the clay, and from the clay Kanoon made human beings. First, he made their blood and bones. Then he gave them skin and hair, lungs to breathe with, a stomach for food, and genitals for begetting children. He gave them hands that they may do useful things, and legs and feet for walking and running. Kanoon made all the different kinds of people that walk upon the earth, and set them in their own lands, and gave them their own languages to speak. And to the peoples of the different lands, he gave many gifts and taught them to make useful things that they might trade with their neighbors. Because of Canoe, the world was a good place to live and prosper. There you have it, five Egyptian mythology creation stories explained. If you want to discover more tales, check out our new book, Egyptian Mythology, Captivating Egyptian Myths of Egyptian Gods, Goddesses, and Legendary Creatures. Also, if you haven't already gotten your free mythology ebook bundle, containing many captivating Egyptian myths. Grab it while it's still free. All links are in the description. Please hit the like button if you enjoyed the video and subscribe if you want us to create more videos like this. Um, interesting enough, those books are actually pretty good for introduction materials. They're not fantastic for once you get deeper into the study, but they're good introduction. I've read several of them. Um, so as you go through, like you saw those five, they seem kind of, some of, I heard you guys laughing, they sound kind of silly to us in ways, but these would have been the stories that these, and we're going to see even a lot of similarities did you, um, between the ancient Israelites' stories and these, they would have been, they would have known these stories and they would have been in dialogue with those, they would have been talking about these things and how is your God different than these? Remember, these are the stories that they would have heard while they were in slavery in Egypt. Um, and notice that uh, where they were at, where in Egypt, remember where you're at, depending on what gods were the primary gods, which gods obviously were the top gods in, that created everything else, right? Because, um, you know, like I said, it, was, it changed. Um, but the, this is what they would have thought. This is what they would have known. This is the ideas that they would have had. And, um, and so we saw some, some similarities from the scriptures already. We can see things like uh, a God created uh, the, the earth and all the people in it and, they, and separated it out from, uh, so that they can, in, in their cosmology, ancient Egyptian cosmology, the land was a, a God, a deity. And so they created that deity and created the sky and created uh, it was a goddess and so they had those those the way they were describing that so there are some similarities there, which we expect to see because they're in the same geographical region they're in the same uh cultural semitic languages semitic people and, they, and you know israel was in was enslaved in egypt for for 400 years you know so the idea that they were it should be common. So we should see some similarities. And, um, and so when they're in the contact, so we say, you know, when they say God was, you know, in the beginning, God, well, where'd God come from? 
Well, he always was. This automatically sets him different from the other gods. They would say, well, our God is better, automatically better than yours because he was. Um, things like he didn't need other gods to create things. He created himself. We're actually going to see some more similarities, uh, actually even stronger similarities that you'll be able to pick out easier in next week's lesson because we're going to talk about the Babylonian creation stories um, uh, next week. Uh, Aiden? That's a very good question. How are the animals, because the gods are often represented in ancient Egyptian with animal figures. Um, They they do that to show what they represented. The imagery represents, like if you were to to show like um, uh, an ibis, which represented a uh, which was the, the long-beaked one. Well, that was Thoth symbol. Um, that represented... Toth is the, the god of knowledge and magic and wisdom. And, and in their minds, that's the symbol. Like We have different, you know, like the, the lion represents, you know, the king of the jungle, strength or whatever else. You know, the tiger represents... In our way of thinking, you know, we have those imageries, right? You know, a shark represents, you know... Uh, you know, strength and speed, but also uh, terror. And, you know, and we have uh, the fox. What does fox represent in the United States? Uh, sly. Or, of course, if you're in another culture, I was actually talking to one person, the fox meant you were gay. Um, so it, it depends on where you're at, what these represent, right? Um, you know, like we use the snake often represents, you know, healing, but also sly, sneaky, deceitful, crafty. Um, and so we have these images of what animals represent. So often they will use images of the gods to kind of show what they represent, how they were thinking about them. Um, like um, one de- goddess is shown often with a cow's head because um, she was a goddess that, that has... Like uh, a fertility and uh, a, a nurturing nature, but also, uh, uh, you know, so there's, there's um, uh, you know, like Horus has the hawk, the, the, the falcon or the hawk head. And, um, and uh, so they represent, so they use these animals just to represent what they're thinking about them um, and their, their, their symbols. Um, Um, all right, so, but think about, as we go through, and we're going to continue to go through Genesis chapter 1, um, think about the similarities from what you've seen, and uh, if you're interested in this, do some more study on this, and next week we're going to talk about Babylonia, which we're going to see some very, a lot more similarities, because they're actually closer to that one, um, and, uh, and we'll, we'll think about that. Um, the week after that, I do believe we're going to go through all of Genesis chapter 1 and look at the literary design, uh, which I've 
Discovered Bible Project already has some wonderful charts, so I'm going to hand out their charts because I don't want to create my own. So I'm going to hand out their stuff, <laughs> uh, which is free to download, um, but, um, but uh, we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, any questions before we, before we go? We're already one minute over. Which religion was first? The oldest cosmology we have is actually comes from ancient uh, India. The oldest practicing religion is the Hinduism. Um, this one, ancient Egypt, is probably the oldest religion we have that's not being practiced anymore from the area of Israel. That's probably the one they would have... Uh, and it comes from a pantheistic, which was probably before they developed the idea of gods, they were worshiping like the sun and the moon and as just straight up deities as well. Uh, the Bible itself comes around much later as it develops as they, God reveals himself um, and, and shows himself to the Israelites as he pulls out Abraham. And he says, from you, I'm going to develop a people group. And then they pulls out that people group. And, and then we have Jesus Christ, who's, so it develops over time. So. Well, the Bible itself wasn't written until much later than that. But the Torah, we could say, we might, the first five books of the Bible, we could argue that at least parts of it were written by Moses. Um, but not, uh, but we could definitely say it wasn't finalized until the time of the ex Egypt, uh, the Exodus, not Exodus, I'm sorry, um, the um, captivity in Babylon. Uh, think Book of Daniel. Um, that's when the Bible, the Old Testament was finalized, anyways. Um, it's a process. These things happen. Remember, they were oral stories first for a long time. Um, and then we had some writings, and then they got finalized later on. Um, so uh, that doesn't make it not true. It just means that's how things develop. That's how things are written. Uh, even the ancient Egyptian stuff didn't pop up. Someone didn't just start writing. They developed into oral stories, and then someone wrote them down on a coffin, in the case of some of this. <laughs> um, It's something that could have used a little more creativity. It's something that develops over time. They, remember, it starts out as a, a pantheistic. You know, there's, uh, the, there's obviously a sky up there, so they worship the sky, and it develops into a story of a goddess who's the sky, and then it develops into a... And so it's something that happens over time. Uh, it's... We can't think of these as like uh, Stephen King sat down and wrote a story. I say Stephen King because I was watching a Stephen King movie yesterday. Um, we, we can't say that, you know, that's not how that these developed. These developed over time. Um, they were worshiping one thing and they developed and then, and, then, um, and then God shows himself to a people that were worshiping out of these, these places and pulled his people out and showed himself to it. Like Abraham, his father was probably an idol maker 
for the Canaanite, for the Babylonian Canaanite religion. Uh, particularly the goddess Sin, which is a moon goddess, or a god, depending on the time period. Um, so, um, so he pulls himself out and he reveals himself. Um, because we had forgotten. Um, so he pulls himself out. Um, and he's probably taught from, um, Abraham very well may have been taught from uh, family members that do believe there's a, there's a timeline that we can follow uh, for that. But um, Yeah. Anything else we need to say? I know, so you've got your keys all in your hand. You're ready to go. Um, all right. Well, let's go ahead and pray.